Oh man, it was a dark and stormy night in Gotham for the 76ers. Welcome to the Sixers Talk Podcast brought to you by Wilmington University. Will you works, Danny Pommels, Noah Levin from NBC Sports, Philadelphia.com. Shout out to Ben Barry, our producer, for putting this all together. Hey Noah, uh, it, it, it was the good, the bad, and the ugly, I guess you could say, because uh, we'll get to the good, but the bad and the ugly had to be that second quarter for the 76ers. Just a 23-point lopsided 39-16 to 16, uh, beatdown um, for the Sixers in that quarter, which kind of spelled the end of the game, I guess, as the Knicks get a victory over the Sixers for the first time since April of 2017. It had been that long, a 15-game drought. Um, a lot of nuances in this game, um, not necessarily good ones for the 76ers, but uh, the, the same shots they had been taking just were not falling, and the Knicks capitalized on that. Um, did you see anything that uh, stood out to you outside from the big picture as far as them not making shots and having a slow go of it in New York? Yeah, the last time the Knicks beat the Sixers, it was the Justin Anderson, Alex Poitras era. Wow. So, wow. Bit of a throwback. It's been a long time. Of course, Ben Simmons has still never lost to the Knicks. Uh, so he, he has that on his resume. But yeah, I think, you know, obviously part of it you just attribute to sometimes it's a rough shooting night. The Sixers were due for one of those after being one of the NBA's best three point shooting teams early in the season. But as far as underlying concerns, yeah, this team is highly reliant on Joel Embiid in the half-court offense. They need to force turnovers and get stops to fuel their transition offense. That didn't happen. Kemba Walker and the Knicks were extremely hot from behind the arc. And uh, Joel Embiid continues to not be 100% and continues to express that he's playing through this knee soreness. And he had a rough individual performance last night did draw 11 free throws, but two for seven from the floor and turned the ball over five times and just uh, didn't look very comfortable or confident with the decision-making. I think you also give the Knicks credit. Uh, Mitchell Robinson is a guy I personally like to watch a lot, and I think if he's healthy, uh, is a player who could perhaps be a, a factor in a, in a playoff series against Joel Embiid and maybe bother him a little bit, uh, someone with – great length, has added some muscle this offseason and has these superb defensive instincts. But not very much went right for the Sixers in that quarter. So uh, we could focus on plenty of things. But for me, yeah, what stood out is probably uh, they need Joel Embiid to be the run stopper. And when he is not doing that, uh, things can go downhill for this team. And just the collective loss of composure, I think, was was also disappointing. Uh they just kind of couldn't find a way to stop that run by New York, and uh, things got very ugly in that second quarter. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career? Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Yeah, um, Mitchell Robinson, great motor, uh, long guy who can uh, definitely uh, get off the floor and cause some havoc there underneath the basket. Um, you mentioned Joel Embiid, and 
it wasn't even necessarily Mitchell Robinson being the disruptive force he can be. It just seemed like the shot selection by Joel was really puzzling. Uh, the team as a whole um, probably put up maybe seven threes, six, seven threes before they even decided to go to the basket. And none of those threes were falling. Joel started it off with a step back three with two people in his face from the corner that, uh, you know, was a little puzzling considering, you know, the TNT guys, if you were watching the broadcast, harped on it at halftime, just the fact that you're the game's most dominant big man, but yet you allow teams to, like he's settling for the jumper instead of trying to force the issue underneath or, you know, um, you know, really cause havoc in the interior. So, uh are you attributing that all to the knee? Um, is he trying to rely on the jumper because the knee is kind of bothering him a little bit and he doesn't want to force the issue? Do you see it that way? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to know unless he explicitly says, says that. Explicitly, yeah. yeah, I think it's fair to assume that the knee is at least influencing how, how he's playing. Like he said to reporters last night, it's not an excuse, but I've never really started a season like this, uh, which I think means he's dealing with uh, some real discomfort and that it's probably affecting his style of play a little bit. As we've talked about before, though, you don't want him to eliminate jump shots entirely from his game. That makes a lot of the low post skills and the pump fakes more dangerous. Uh, he does shoot the three ball very well for a center and is very good in the mid range. Uh, but I think it was very effective last night when the Sixers were struggling and he just decided, okay, I'm going to draw contact. And I think piled up six free throw attempts pretty quickly, got the opposing centers and in a little bit of foul trouble, and then did just kind of go away from that, which I think was a little disappointing just as far as his approach to the game. But look, obviously they don't lose this game just because of Joel Embiid or just because of one player, I think across the board. Uh, none of their performances were very strong besides Tobias Harris, who put up 23-9-9 and, and did a decent job in the matchup against Julius Randle. Uh, pretty mu much everyone else had a rough night. You can put Tyrese Maxey, I think, in that group. Uh, didn't do great uh, in the minutes against his former Kentucky teammate, Emmanuel Quickly, uh, and only scored seven points on three-for-nine shooting and uh, continues to be a work in progress uh, as a starting point guard uh, for the Sixers. Yeah, um, for sure, Joel Embiid with no field goals in the first half. You mentioned that um, those trips to the free throw line, which we are really customary and we see that the new rule changes haven't really altered that for Joel Embiid getting to the line where we have seen that James Harden's free throw attempts have really you know, fallen by the wayside a bit. But um, we'll get into the maxi quickly matchup and what that might mean for the team in a little bit. Uh, you mentioned Tobias Harris, you know, you know, him coming to his, his hometown, you know, being a New Yorker, he wasn't going to let, you know, uh, an opportunity like that to shine. I'm sure he had people at the game uh, fall by the wayside, but I'm sure he's definitely down in the dumps about the way the team performed because I know he takes that personally and seriously. Um, I'm curious, though, when you look at Joel and, you know, them trying to ride him in the half court, and him being the the run stopper, so to speak, it obviously begs the fact that you know Ben Simmons isn't there, and they need some help in that regard. 
Um, is this kind of like an Achilles heel that we're seeing that if the Sixers aren't in a position where Joel can kind of save them, that they don't have many other options that can do what Joel does, which is kind of slow down the other team by, you know, uh, you know, getting easy buckets on the other end or getting the other team in foul trouble or what have you. I think it's an issue that would exist even if Ben Simmons was on this roster, obviously. Simmons's lack of engagement and aggressiveness in the half court was a major storyline in the Hawks series. So it's not as if him being on this roster would single-handedly solve this. Uh, but yeah, I think absolutely it's tough when your center is the guy you have to depend on and it becomes even a little more difficult when one, he's not having a strong night as a passer and hitting open three-point shooters. And then two, when those three-point shooters are just bricking a ton of shots. I mean, the Sixers were two for 15 and a half time of this game. Even if they were playing high level defenses, this is probably a situation where they'd be trailing and, and wouldn't have much of a shot to beat a good next team. I, I do think also Tobias Harris is probably in most situations, the number two option, the guy sure. where you feel, okay, you can dump it to him in the post or get him an isolation touch. And he has a decent chance of scoring for you. But it's not ideal that Tobias Harris, in contrast to Joel Embiid, uh, is below average at drawing free throws. It's not something he does very well. So uh, if no one else is scoring and you get it to Harris and his jumper's not falling, uh, there's this real likelihood of, of games going downhill or, as we saw in the fourth quarter of the Brooklyn game, of just no one on the team being able to score, whether that means free throws or field goals. Uh, so... It's been a problem for a while. I think, obviously, in this hypothetical Ben Simmons trade, a lot of the names that are attractive are guys that can create shots in the half court, and that's just because uh, this has been something the Sixers have lacked uh, for quite some time. I, I actually disagree with you on the Simmons thing. I'm not saying if Simmons was on the court, they would have won the game. But if you look at his strengths – defensively he would have been slowing down some of that perimeter action most likely um, maybe he was guarding Kemba maybe whoever he was guarding but maybe some of those open looks wouldn't have been falling for the Knicks so maybe the margin wouldn't have been as great and then I, I do think offensively while you were completely correct that the, the scoring wouldn't have made much of a difference because Ben doesn't look to score as much I do think the playmaking might have created more opportunities that the Sixers wouldn't get when Obviously, in the half court, things are really going to slow down if you're trying to dump it into Joel or he's kind of, you know, jab stepping and pump faking and trying to get to the basket. It's, it, the guys are just kind of standing around waiting for him to do his thing. But um, bringing up Simmons, you know, I'll let you comment on that, uh, what I just said, but bringing up Simmons, we do have to mention that Ali LaForce had a report before the game that, uh, you know, people don't know out there, this team is not finding Ben any, any longer. They consider him as being in-house and trying to actually be productive toward getting back on the court with dealing with his mental health issues. And Ali LaForce had the uh, report that Ben had been working out the team, working out with the organization, not the team as early as yesterday, because the team uh, was in New York for a shoot around. So I guess maybe while the team was in New York, Ben was at the facility in Camden working out with people from the organization. So who knows how this will play out? I think the next month will be really, 
you know, maybe the next two weeks, even will really tell a lot about the progress that might be made there, because if he's working toward getting back on the court, there would hopefully be a date or expectation that, you know, some of these issues and uh, his conditioning and his lack of wanting to be on the, t- on the floor with the team because he's not mentally ready will kind of dissipate as, you know, time goes on. So I'm really looking at the next 30 days as like some important, you know, watershed moments, but, uh, what did you make of the fact that he's actually actively being with the team or the organization, I should say, um, be, I guess his words to them before the Brooklyn game, uh, you know, may, may have really meant something. Yeah, it, do, it does seem like that. I mean, the, the line from Doc Rivers was that it was a productive day and seems like the organization, everyone who's spoken about it on the record has been consistent in saying they thought it was an important step in the right direction, just opening up that dialogue. I think it's tough though, because with a lot of this uh, Simmons situation, you have to filter through what is strategic and what is maybe a little more genuine. And it it is certainly, uh, it certainly makes sense for the Sixers to want other teams to hear that things are trending in a positive direction with Simmons. Right, absolutely. And, you know, just perhaps to plant this idea that, yeah, it is somewhat realistic that he could actually play for us soon. Um, because I think it's been obvious for a while here, Ben Simmons playing and looking good or, you know, just even looking similar to the player he was last season uh, would be very nice for the Sixers just in terms of these trade negotiations and, and uh, the quote-unquote leverage that they might be able to have. But, uh, yes, you know, I, it is positive, though, that he's with the team and he's not um, falling under this conduct detrimental, you know, category that he that it does seem like there's this genuine uh, desire to at least be around the Sixers organization in a way that maybe wasn't the case a week or two ago. But, uh, of course, for him to actually return to the court, you imagine there would have to be quite a few practices under his belt, Uh, And he'd have to feel, you know, all importantly in a good space uh, mentally to suit up. And there are no indications uh, as far as I know that that is currently the case. Uh, But yeah, just briefly to the the point you were making on what Simmons might have been able to do with the half court facilitation. I think it's I think it's a good point. And I think it is also important to recognize that uh, Ben Simmons, the playoff player and the regular season player, there's a Mm. real distinction there. And that is a great point. The Hawks series like. That was the worst version of Ben Simmons, the yes. uh, postseason player. Uh, so, you, yeah, we don't want to forget that it's not just that Simmons is really special at times in transition and creates a lot of transition offense in threes. Uh, in the half court, when he's attacking, uh, he puts a lot of pressure on the defense and he does kick out and find a lot of open teammates. And uh, the Sixers do miss all of that. And Tyrese Maxey, uh, for all of his positive qualities, is still so, so young and still so, so new to this role. We'll get into Maxi and how that relates to Simmons after we take a quick timeout, but I just wanted to shift and get this last point in before we transition. We play four games. <clears throat> Two of those games, they've been at or around their uh, average from last season for three-point attempts. And two of these games, they've t- blown way past that with, back-to-back games of 41 attempts from three. It clearly didn't go the way they wanted last night in New York. But it seems like they're making a concerted effort to be a better three-point shooting team. I'm sure there are a lot of, 
you know, uh, earmarks they want to hit when it comes to, you know, defense and production in the half court and, you know, all types, you know, sharing the basketball and assist numbers and things like that. But here they are, you know, putting up, you know, they, they changed the roster to accentuate the three-point shot with bringing in George Niang. Um, hopefully, you know, Isaiah Joe hasn't made the strides of the preseason uh, in the regular season that we've seen in the preseason. But you, you see a concerted effort to putting up more threes, and it didn't work out well in New York. It worked out great against OKC. It really started off well against Brooklyn. But I'm curious if you see the same thing, that they're trying to really, you know, pound <laughs> three-point shots from from – you know, whether, whatever, whenever it is in the game, but they're really trying to make a concerted effort to get up more three-pointers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just take it a glance at, at it this morning from Cleaning the Glass. They are now a top-half team. Uh, wow, okay. Frequency, they're, they're ranked 13th as of this morning, uh, which is a big difference between being bottom <laughs> five. Right. Yeah. Um, I think Doc Rivers, my sense is that he's not – analytically inclined in terms of he's going to set specific numbers and that he's going to break mm-hmm. the Sixers if one game they only shoot 28 threes. His standards that he finds you know, most valuable are, are things that might not be as tangible, like, you know, just is the ball moving well? Or are we getting good shots in rhythm? Are, are we right. uh, playing? Like you said in the past, he doesn't care where the points come from. Exactly, yeah. So uh, he'll – he's probably looking at more all encompassing stats, just like offensive rating. And then he's also just valuing what the film and his eyes tell him about how the Sixers offense looks. But uh, he, he did express, you know, during training camp that he'd like Tobias Harris to shoot more threes. I think Harris put up four in the, in the first quarter of that game, which is not true to form for him. So absolutely something that uh, these players are being coached to do more uh, and I think it makes sense. Uh, obviously, it doesn't look as great on a night when the shots aren't falling. But in terms of the approach, I, I don't don't see anything glaring, glaringly wrong with it as long as you don't take it to an extreme of attempting early shot clock threes where you're not giving uh, your, yourself a chance to rotate the defense and put pressure on the defense. Uh, but taking more threes, sure, it's something we've wanted for the, six, for the Sixers for a while. Uh, and they are trending direction in the early stages. Yeah, Doc Rivers uh, mentioned after the game that what they lacked in the early going was the physicality that they think that the Sixers lacked the physicality that the Knicks had because a lot of their shots that they were taking in the early going were just one pass and then a jumper as opposed to you know setting screens or running some action in order to to produce those shots. So he feels like that that's something that kind of got sucked out of them early on. Um, let's take a break here. We'll get into more with Tyrese Maxey and Ben Simmons and how they relate to each other as it goes to particularly last night's game and what we've seen here in the early going. Of course, the Detroit Pistons coming up, Sixers before game homestand here. So the, the redemption cometh swiftly is what I'm trying to say. They'll be back on the court Thursday. But let's take a timeout and get into more of, of the nuances of the Sixers squad. Ready to make a move? A Wilmington University education can take you where you want to go. WilmU works online or in person. Learn more at wilmu.edu. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Interesting, Noah. Um, I'm always fascinated by when the Sixers are on national TV uh, to hear what the announcers and how people view the team that we are, you know, intimately, you know, tied to um, and, uh, you know, look at and study every day, just about. Um, because they get a lot of stuff wrong. But interesting things that they say sometimes, and something I picked up from the broadcast last night is they considered, uh, I think it was Brian Anderson and Stan Van Gundy, they considered Shake Milton as a missing member of the starting lineup as opposed to it being Tyrese Maxey's job exclusively. So like Shake obviously is out with the right ankle sprain. I thought, I thought that was kind of, uh, they, they kind of misspoke there because, you know, Tyrese has been running with the ones, but then I kind of, you know, checked myself and thought, well, you know, Doc has said that it's kind of a competition and, you know, he's definitely more of a guy to lean toward a veteran player rather than a younger player. So did, did you pick up on that? Did, did, had you been thinking that? Because I had been thinking that Shake would be with the second unit um, and more of that Jamal Crawford role that Doc had talked about. But did, am I, am I, am I amiss on that? I don't think so. My ears perked up there as well. And yeah, to be honest, my initial reaction was that uh, that that was not on the money and that maybe that was coming from, from someone who just, just doesn't follow the Sixers. Very casual. But, right. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to think. But, that- but I think the point I'm trying to make with the struggles that we've seen, uh, some struggles we've seen from Maxi, particularly last night when he was outplayed by Manuel quickly, is that something that we should be considering or looking that direction? Right. Yeah. I think it's fair to think that it's not set in stone yet that Maxi will be the starting point guard when Shake Milton, who's been out with this right ankle sprain, is healthy to return. And one small argument in, in favor of thinking that way is last night, Doc Rivers made sure to stagger minutes such that Tyrese Maxey played with the second unit and Isaiah Joe mm-hmm. was removed from the rotation. So he's he seems to like that idea of Maxey um, you know, playing playing with the bench, and who knows, maybe that does carry over to when Shake Milton is healthy. As you noted, he it didn't last for long, but he briefly categorized it as a competition during the preseason. Uh, maybe he still still sees it that way, uh, and he has been in a fair way, but critical once or twice of of Maxi and and saying, look. He's young, and uh, there's a lot of things he, he has to learn about playing point guard. Shake Milton is a little less young, 
has been a starting point guard before. Uh, so at least if you're looking at it in that very narrow sense, uh, you know, I guess that would be a reason to, to start uh, Shake Milton. Um, yeah, I am curious exactly what's, what's going to happen when Milton is deemed healthy enough to return. I, I think it, my sense is that Tyrese Maxey would still be the favorite to start, but um, no, I'm, I'm on the same page with you that that comment did make me think a little. And uh, I think I'm at the point where uh, you'd expect it to be Maxey, but you wouldn't be shocked uh, if Doc uh, went with Shake Milton. If you have not already, you need to check out Noah Levick's three observations on our website at bcsportsphiladelphia.com. Uh, he has them after every game. Um, and one of the things you brought up was, uh, hey, um, the Sixers are getting more offense from having uh, Tyrese Maxey in the lineup as opposed to Ben Simmons. But Ben Simmons – earned an all-star nod last season for a reason uh, because he brings things that Maxi can't as well. So, uh, and a lot of them are obvious, obviously you get more three point shooting. Maxi didn't have a great night of that um, last night in New York, but defensively playmaking wise, um, Ben Simmons is elite. Um, get, give us a, some more insight on in what you think, the Sixers are losing there. And I guess I'm looking at this as like kind of like a three-headed monster, like Simmons obviously not being a part of it. But if you're just looking at the ball handling and the point guard position, we just talked about Tyrese and Shake. So, like, how can they make that work with Ben's absence? Because if they're – they can't replace what Ben brought to the team, but they also need to make up for his absence with someone on the roster – and they're not quite getting that at a consistent pace with Tyrese Maxey. So I guess that would offer an opportunity to shake, but just can you clarify that more and, and explain how you're seeing it? Yeah, to be honest, I, I don't even know if I'd frame it as the Sixers are just getting more net offensively from Tyrese Maxey. I mean, even Maxie. Ben Simmons is someone who's, you know, going to give you around 15 points per game. And then of course uh, is, is very valuable in terms of the assist numbers and the rebounding and, and all those other things he brings to the table. Obviously, there's there's a massive spare, uh, disparity there on defense. Uh, but yeah, I think Shake Milton, when he's healthy, maybe he's not starting. I wouldn't expect him to start, but I will definitely be playing key minutes for this team. One thing that did come to mind last night is that Doc Rivers on several occasions last year identified difficulty handling ball pressure as a reason that Milton wasn't playing or wasn't getting important minutes. So uh, for last night in particular. We, we've seen that from, from, uh, from Furkan Korkmaz, who he's had running the point. We've seen that, you know, um, from Isaiah Joe as well. And he got sent on the bench for that. So I guess that's not just a unique situation to shake though. Yeah, I see it in a few ways. So one is that I think just, the Knicks uh, and teams like the Knicks are, are somewhat rare in the modern NBA, where at least during the regular season, not every team gives 100% effort on defense every night, like Tom Thibodeau mm -hmm. is going to demand that. Uh, and you're going to get a playoff-like game uh, when, when you face the New York Knicks. So uh, I think it's inevitable that many opponents and many guards will struggle against that. And then I think, mm -hmm. like, secondarily, 
Ben Simmons has a unique advantage at dealing with ball pressure because he is six foot 10 and much, much stronger physically than the average point guard. Uh, and he also just, I think, likes and embraces physicality. We've seen him give some of those sort of Aussie rules like shoulder shrugs and right. like say what you want about Simmons, but that's a part of his game that's always been there. That uh, And he's probably just as quick with the basketball as those guys. Yeah. In a non-scoring context, I think Ben Simmons is one of the more physical uh, guards, quote-unquote, in the league. Of, of course, mm -hmm. uh, many Sixers fans would like to see that more in terms of attacking the basket. Um, but I think just dealing with ball pressure, yeah, that's not a concern. You have to near the same degree with Ben Simmons. Uh, and I think Shake Milton, too, is similar to Tyrese Maxey in that uh, he's, he's more of a combo guard. Like, he's not a traditional point guard who's – necessarily used to being in this role of okay it's your job to run the offense and to get us into our sets and sometimes that means shrugging off ball pressure and physicality so uh yeah long story long story short there i think ball pressure um is something that probably is is likely to bother the sixers more uh without ben simmons on the roster uh but yeah regardless you would expect that shake milton being back in the fold will at least help this team uh, to some degree. And uh, no real word, no update on his situation, right? I mean, he's still out with the right ankle injury or ankle injury. Uh, I don't know if it was yeah, right. I mean, he's looked decent to me for a while when, when we've gotten to see him just because he's been like working on side courts. Yeah, um, like after practice, okay. works with um, Tyler Lashbrook, uh, one of the six year skill development uh, coaches, and, you know, just runs, runs through drills and uh, get shots up. Uh, there doesn't seem to be anything too wrong, but yeah, evidently they don't want to rush him back. And uh, it's not clear yet exactly uh, when he'll return. Not sure if it'll come to fruition for him, but props to Tobias Harris as he continues to uh, be Mr. Dependable. Um, you mentioned his 23 points, uh, 10 of 18 shooting. Um, and not much, you know, I, I jokingly um, sent a, a text in our group chat that this would be a short podcast after the Sixers got beat up uh, last night. But um, I, I guess it really not a lot of good things to, to talk about. Tobias Harris probably being one of the only ones, um, even though he was still a minus 11 as the team just did not have it in New York. But lucky for them, four home games in the Detroit Pistons are on deck. So um, we'll see. Look for them to bounce back Thursday. Uh, Jay Cole at Wells Fargo Center tonight. Uh, Noah, are you popping up for that? I did. Back in the day, I went to a J. Cole concert, so I'm good. Oh, okay. I'm you, you already got a J. Cole concert under your belt. Yeah, I got one under my belt, so I think I'm good, but uh, I'm sure sure that'll be a, a fun night for the folks in attendance. I will be there uh, because I'll be working, and I'll pop out and check it out. Um, it, funny, though, because uh, Steve Graham, our Sixers, uh, what, what do you call a producer? Uh, what, what do you want to call Steve? Uh, He's a video producer editor, I believe. Video producer. There we go. Okay. There we go. Video producer editor. He does it all. He's, he's the best. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, super sharp. He was there way after we left last night. Um, I did uh, NBC 10's 11 o'clock news, and he was probably there. It's about 12 31 o'clock. Um, and uh, Steve is getting is engaged and getting married soon. So, so props to that. But I bring up Steve and I bring up Jay Cole because you do not think those two worlds will intersect. But uh, Steve Graham met Jay Cole, bro. Um, he told me last night because he used to work in Florida and he drove from Philly to Florida at like 17 hours straight. And he said he pulled into a 7-Eleven in Jacksonville and there was Jay Cole on a bike 
having a Slurpee. So he's staring at J. Cole, you know, he's like, am I delirious? Like, I think that's, I, you know, I, you know, some dude on a bike in the middle of Jacksonville, like, you don't think like that's going to be, you know, one of the greatest rappers in our current generation, but it was J. Cole. Steve said he, they, they, they dapped each other up. He asked him if he was J. Cole. He said, yeah, he said he was super cool. Um, so there you go. That's the Steve Graham, J. Cole story. Uh, I, I enjoy hearing it from him. He had a smile on his face the whole time he was telling it. So uh, you've been to the J. Cole concert. Steve Graham has actually met the man. And uh, he said this about 2017. So he was definitely like highly regarded. I don't know if that was before Forest Hills Drive, but it's a classic moment. Steve Graham and J. Cole linking up. And you, you brought that up because Tobias Harris looks like J. Cole? <laughs> that's great that's a great segue he'll be in town maybe Tobias will pop out to the concert maybe J. Cole will bring him out or something like that they, they probably about the same size well, I guess J. Cole's about 6'5 Tobias he's, like 6'7 he's pretty like, good at basketball he's actually played right. professional and, basketball yeah. we've seen the videos right we've seen the videos um, and uh, it'll be uh, a fun for the Sixers to be back home I uh, hope you guys can come out to the arena and enjoy one of these uh, four home games uh, support the team and thanks for supporting us here on the Sixers Talk Podcast. For our man, Noah Levick, for Ben Barry, I'm Danny Pommel. We'll see you next time. We're brought to you by Wilmington University. Will you work? Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.